Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us for the Real Perspectives podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this episode and share it with your colleagues and friends because it has some nugget of information that may pertain to your daily work. There are more episodes in our library, too, so if you like them or have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again. Hello, listeners. This is your host, co-founder and publisher of The Registry, Vladimir Bosanets. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast, where we are honored to be joined by renowned architect Bill Letty. Bill is an accomplished architect with over 30 years of experience designing buildings that integrate sustainability, functionality, and aesthetic beauty. Throughout his career, Bill has worked on a variety of projects ranging from single-family homes to large-scale commercial developments, always with a keen eye for detail and a commitment to creating spaces that serve the needs of their occupants while also being environmentally responsible. In this episode, we'll dive deep into Bill's approach to architecture, discussing his design philosophy, inspirations, and notable projects. Whether you're an aspiring architect, a design enthusiast, or simply curious about the world of architecture, this conversation is sure to be insightful and inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome Bill Letty to the podcast. Bill, good morning. How are you? I am doing great, Vlad. Thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's it's our pleasure. Where do we find you today? Where are you? I'm in San Francisco. Um, actually, uh, talking to you from from home at this point. But um, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful spring spring day, and I yeah. And and I I like to ask this question, you know, just out of curiosity more than anything. You know, how has your work habit evolved? You know, in the last few years, you know, home versus office, and uh, you know, do you guys have a philosophy, or are you flexible, or uh, what's your what's your thinking there? Well, when when the when the pandemic uh, was easing at down, we we of course the, the 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 interesting aspect in the in the firm in our firm, which is around thirty five people, was um, that the ideas about working together in one space kind of split pretty pretty hard down uh, a generational divide. Anyone over, over older than around thirty five or so was couldn't wait to get back to the office and and have that shared experience it's a collaboration overhearing conversations learning as you go and everyone under 35 more or less was like no we're good we're good <laughs> so <laughs> so we've evolved into we've evolved into a, a, a three day a week sort of in the office mondays and, and fridays um optional and and what we're finding actually it's interesting is that a lot of folks are starting to gravitate back to the office uh, just because it's 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 nice to get out of your sweatpants and and uh, and actually be with other people and talk about design, which is kind of what we're all about. Yeah, definitely. And did that divide surprise you? Uh, did it surprise no, you? Sort of not at all. Who wanted to do what? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, not at all. No, it's, it's just. I mean, I think there's already we we can. This is an entirely separate conversation, I guess. But I think there there's a. I would I would argue that. Um, that uh, technology has created already a, 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 a generational divide between uh, you know folks who grew up using a pencil in their hand and folks who grew up with a, um, a keyboard, and um, and I think that that communication or that divide I think was is pretty much falls along the same lines. I think there's this 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 um, the sense of self-sufficiency when you've got this powerful tool at your disposal 
when in fact there's still lots of things to learn. So anyway, I think we've, 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 we're, we're striking a nice balance and people seem yeah, to be yeah, yeah. happy Interesting, about that. interesting. Um, so Bill, uh, just as kind of a, you know, introduction uh, about you and your firm, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, you know, how the firm started, you know, things that kind of got you to where you are today. Sure, thank you. Well, you know, my partners, Marsha Madem and Richard Stacey and I, um, you know, were practicing together with um, another firm, um, and we eventually became in the in the in the '80s and the in the '90s. And uh, I think we've been working together since 1983, a long time. Um, and uh, in around around 2000, we 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 had done a couple of projects for um, for nonprofit organizations. Um, and found that to be so gratifying, um, you know, that the, there was a mission that these folks really had, they held passionately and, and we agreed with that mission and we, we found it, we found it to be really rewarding to, to, um, uh, to work on those projects. And, um, and so, um, at around, around the turn of the century, we decided, uh, Richard, uh, Marsha and I decided that it would be a good idea to, sort of, um, you know, kind of reformulate our firm and uh, work really pretty much exclusively for nonprofit, educational, social justice, environmental foundations, those kinds of clients. Um, and uh, we're doing, you know, so since then we've been really, um, you know, created our practice around, designed our practice around this idea of, of mission-driven design um, and, uh, you know, working primarily in three, three areas of work. Um, affordable housing for supportive affordable housing for um, disadvantaged populations and populations of color and so forth for the formerly homeless um, educational environments that um, try to try to model what education in the 21st century is all about and 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 model deep sustainability in that regard and then um, and then uh, cultural and um, and and uh, public institutions, libraries, and that kind of thing. So, um, so we just found it to be rewarding, <laughs> much more rewarding yeah. Yeah. than you know. Than I mean, I, I I have no no making no judgments about anybody else's uh, practice form, but but we just found it to be when 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 you when you design a affordable housing project for. Uh, formerly homeless individuals, and you go to these ribbon cuttings. I mean, it's there's not a dry eye in the house because these people are so grateful to have, you know, the, the sense of dignity that that good design brings them on a sure. daily basis. So, anyway, we got we got pretty addicted to that feeling, and and uh, and we we've been doing it ever since. And um, and uh, and and I think we've we've found that we can actually, you know. We could we we made a business model around this, and and so we can talk about the the nitty gritty details of that. A lot of architects wonder, well, that's great for you, Bill. You you work in right. San Francisco, you know how easy is that, right? Well, I'm I'm afraid it's not easy, but but it can be done, and we wanted to share some of those ideas in uh, in this book, uh, Practice with Purpose. Yeah, and that's and we'll and we'll get to a book um, in in one minute. Um, one of the other follow up questions I wanted to have about this is also when you talk about you know design and when you talk about designing for organizations and nonprofits, it's not necessarily that they require a different type of design. It's more 
that you are driven by by their mission, you're sort of driven by these folks. Have you found that to be for you as a business kind of a better selling point? Or is there something about the design specifically that you think, you know, makes them more attracted to, you know, hiring, uh, you know, you guys versus, you know, somebody else? Well, I think the, 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 um, the realization that we had fairly quick early on was that, um, you know, first of all, you get the work that you do, you know, that's, that's kind of the rule in architecture. <laughs> you know, if you, if you just do shopping centers, you, you're probably always going to do shopping centers and that's great, but because we need shopping centers, but but um, we decided that if we if we had a chance to to um, you know direct the direction of our firm in, in a way that uh, started to attract clients who had who had big ideas, big missions, um, we realized that architecture, you know, I say this in the book, is fundamentally um, a, you know kind of a values proposition, in the sense that it's really all about working with values and it's it's matching the values your personal values to the values of your client to the values of your community and helping to create environments that that resonate to those values and when you have a client coming to you and saying you know hey you know we're we're a you know we're a school that wants to create a uh, an inspiring you know sustainable environment for our students to learn about um, environmental stewardship you're like, yeah, <laughs> we could do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, or, you know, uh, you know, someone coming to us and saying, Hey, we, we have this library we want to design and we, you know, can, would you do that for us? So I think that's what we've, 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 we've really discovered. And that's, that's the, 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 maybe the secret sauce is that, um, it makes, it makes this idea of going to work every day so much more exciting and, and energizing because there's a bigger, there's a bigger. You're taking a bigger role in 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 what you're we're doing every day than simply just designing a building that meets budget, um, you know, program and all that. Which, you know, is certainly not easy in of itself. But I think right. this adds another dimension that is just really personally gratifying. But it also, um, I think, really helps support the, uh, the 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 health and growth of our communities in a really powerful way. Has this helped you in recruiting? Has it helped you attract, you know, a generation of architects who are now maybe, you know, more self-conscious about the work that they do and for whom they do it? Um, I'm curious kind of how that process has evolved for you. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's another <laughs> another part of this, the, 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 the attraction of, of doing this is that um, it, it allows us to attract really smart, passionate people. Um, who who really want to do the same thing that we're doing? This sort of again, I think it's just about not only collecting clients who share your values and with whom you share their values, but I think it's also attracting folks who say, "Hey, that's that's really great. I want to do that too." And um, and so we we call ourselves a teaching practice in the sense that we we really are are focused on. You know, helping these these young professionals come into our office and become well-rounded, um, you know, practitioners um, and 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 global citizens, so that they can take their skills and bring take those out into the world. We're and I think we're very much aware of this idea of 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 the ripple effect, right? I mean, I think a little a little pebble in the pond, yeah, you know, has this ripple effect, and you have no idea, you know, how that might impact. Um, you know, the world, you know, the, the, the other metaphor, of course, is the butterfly wing that, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> you 
so I think that this idea of, of, um, of gathering really smart, passionate people um, around us to work with us on these things has been a really key, key part of this. So that's another reason why I think post pandemic, it's been so lovely to get people starting to come back because we had before, before pre pandemic, we had this, I think a very, um, a very healthy, supportive, nurturing kind of office culture that, you know, people became good friends and, you know, everyone was, you know, hanging out and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's a, <clears throat> it's a very, um, was a very and has become again a very um, kind of open and uh, uh, I think nurturing um, professional environment and so um, that's a that's another big benefit I think it's just you know doing doing good by doing well by doing good is is sort of yeah yeah interesting yeah super interesting um, so tell us about this book you know how did how did it come about um, what motivated you, you guys to to do this was it was it during the pandemic when everybody had more time to think about things? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, well, there is that. You know, there are there are there are pandemic puppies and pandemic books, and so yeah. this is in a our pandemic, case pandemic podcast as well. So this is, how, this is how we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've, I've been thinking about this for a while with my with my partners, and I, I think you know the, the just as the as the climate emergency um, has become more and more evident and more and more pressing you know, globally. And as the, you know, we've been doing sustainable, quote unquote, sustainable design for, for, you know, 30 years. Um, but as, as it's become no longer an option, but actually, you know, it's no longer a nice to have, but it's got to have. Um, and then I think at the same time, this sort of um, uh, the, the, the completely interrelated uh, social emergencies that we're facing, um, you know, racial injustice and, and um, economic disparity, and certainly, you know, the interconnection between uh, the impacts of climate change with, um, with, with under-resourced communities and, and how they're going to be, they are already feeling the impacts much more severely than the many, many of uh, other parts of the society. Right. That we realize that you know, you know, when when architects are 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 responsible for as much as forty percent of the global greenhouse gases uh, that cause um, uh, global warming, um, we we have a we have a responsibility, but we're also really well positioned to be leaders in trying to solve these problems. And so, you know, this book is really. Uh, kind of, um, we, we refer to it as sort of a love letter to the profession. It's really geared to uh, aim or sort of focused at um, young professionals, emerging professional students, who I know, having spoken to many of them, are saying, "Wow, you know, what am I supposed to do in this world? It's, it's, it's things are completely out of control, and 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 how do I how do I take agency? How do I feel like I'm doing something?" And I think that many of us. You know, no matter what your age, if you're paying attention, <laughs> uh, feel this sort of sense of helplessness. You know, how can how can one person affect any change in the in the, in the way that the climate is changing or that 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 society is 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 in turmoil? And and I think this book is is a is a is a way of explaining, we hope, uh, an option, a, a viewpoint that allows us all to take action and agency every day when we go to work every day designing environments and as i say in the book it doesn't matter what size the environment is it doesn't matter how big it is it's that ripple effect it, you know right you, you never you, you 
if you create environments that that teach people about their interconnection with each other and with the natural world, then then those those ideals start to bubble up and they start to 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 uh, move out into the world and um, and have I think a uh, help to reinforce things that are already happening, right? And so so that was the idea behind the book and and it and it and it really is. It's, it was never intended to be a, a traditional, you know, monograph of our work. It's really more intended to be a call to action for the profession and using, trying to use examples of our projects as being real world, you know, here's what, here's how we did this in this context right. and here's what it does kind of a thing. So that, that was yeah. the genesis. And, and that was my sort of follow-up question or maybe a, a couple of follow-up questions regarding that is, you know, how much of this is actually stuff do you guys already practice in your work? And then, uh, you know, another question is, you know, is there something in your personal journey or in the personal journey of your partners that, you know, really impacted how, you know, the book came out, the stories you tell, you know, the things you want to, you know, convey to the younger generation? Well, I think I think the um, uh, the the answer to that question about the personal journey is that I think um, my <laughs> Marsha Madam and I are are married, and we have two now adult children, and um, and of course they you know and we we've we raise them. We live in the Upper Haight Ashbury, you know. <laughs> um, so just to just to uh, put a little more a little more um, uh, uh, you know. Um, context, right? <laughs> context to the to the situation, right? Um, and they refer to us as just old hippies. But I think the, I think the idea though is that I think we early on in our our career when we were coming of age in the in the in the in the mid early mid seventies, you know, that was a, it was a time of hopefulness and a time of of you know we thought we could all change the world through architecture and and um, you know I think we were naive because we didn't really understand how complicated the world is. But now you know with with 50 years under our belts, um, I think the idea is that we can't. We've learned over the years that we can, we can make a change. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to take a job necessarily just because, you know, we've got to pay the rent. Although sometimes we do, but we try to put ourselves in a position of doing the work that we want to do, attracting the work that we want to do, and then, and then, um, you know, developing this idea of architecture is not just not just form making, not just fashion um, promoting. It's 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 it can be all of that, and I think all that's beautiful. I mean, there's nothing like a beautifully designed environment to draw people in. But I think it has to be more than that, right? And I think that's always been our feeling that that our architecture has a bigger job to do um, than you know space and structure, air, you know, light and and volume and so forth. It has to it has to also um, reflect the values of our communities. It has to help lead us to a positive place where, you know, everyone is welcome. Everyone is benefiting from these, from these experiences. Architecture isn't just for rich people. <laughs> it's for everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. I mean, there is certainly the notion that form f should follow function or, uh, uh, you know, certainly that's, that's, you know, one, one of the tenets of the, of the industry, have you found that with your purpose and the, the work that you guys do, um, have you found that that the firms sort of seek that purpose? Do you find that that purpose then that you convey through 
um, you know, how you approach your work then uh, gives new ideas to your clients that maybe they haven't even thought before. Um, tell us about that. I mean, I think, you know, um, being in a position of, uh, you know, being hopefully being a trusted advisor by our clients, that I think there is a great opportunity to you know, help, you know, to bring them along. So we get all kinds of clients uh, from folks who, you know, are totally immersed in sustainability and, and all that to folks who think it's a nice to have and they're interested, but they're not, they're a little worried that it's going to be an extra cost and so forth. And so we get the full range of folks. We, we work a lot with schools where, you know, um, or, or um, even universities where, you know, half the board of directors is totally bought into the idea and the other half, maybe not so much. Right. So you have to kind of go through a process of proving that it's a, it's an economic um, benefit as well as as well as a benefit to the to the, any other ways that it is. So, um, so I think that this idea of of form follows function absolutely. But I think it's I think it's um, the functioning. We 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 say a little bit differently. It's it's a it's a melding of poetry and pragmatism. The pragmatism component of it is is this idea we we want to we want to set up our communities so they will thrive you know so our grandchildren will thrive uh in this uncertain future that's coming um that's a pretty practical you know goal i think right and um and and yet we also don't want to make this all about numbers and metrics and systems and checking boxes and all that that's that's that has a place but it's not something that we've really always embraced i think we've always looked at it as being both both poetry and pragmatism and finding the poetry in the pragmatism as well as the other way around so that when it, when you when you have a completed environment it's completely woven together and that 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 um, that young a young student or a formerly homeless person can just walk into a space and just feel instantly at home uh, i think that's and I guess that's another point that I wanted to raise. I think is really maybe has has resonates with the younger uh, uh, students and, and and younger architects, but maybe has gotten lost in, for a lot of folks in my generation, which is this idea of of um, of empathic design. Uh, this idea that that you know, um, again, everyone needs to feel this sense of belonging to a larger community than them than themselves and they need to reconnect to each other and to to the world around them and i think architecture becomes this very powerful um stage upon which that that can happen in a variety of different ways yeah and i think i think the idea of, of understanding who it might this wide range of folks who might actually be using your space is is really um a key point so again it's not it's in my in our minds. It's no longer about making huge heroic sculptures. Um, that's that's has a place. That's great, but that's not what we're interested in. What we're interested in is creating environments that are memorable, that are welcoming, and that are enduring in a in a sense of of um, embracing the people that 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 uh, engage with it. Yeah, the um, thinking behind um, uh, this 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 uh, book and the sort of notions you know behind it. Um, is that something that you're finding others in the industry are also pursuing? I mean, I understand that you are hoping to kind of, you know, sow the seeds of of uh, these ideas with young architects. But at the same time, have you seen, uh, you know, this having an impact throughout the industry? 
um, um, and you know where. Well, I, you know, absolutely, and I, you know, no, nothing happens all by itself, and uh, and we are certainly not the first folks to think of think of things in these terms. Um, but I do think, um, you know, there's a there's a rising aware, awareness already that we see around the around the industry that that um, you know decarbonizing the built environment, sustainable design, and all that is not a separate silo from from equity, diversity, and inclusion. That in fact they are all all those issues are completely combined, and we're seeing that seeing that come up and bubble up more and more now. And um, I think the reason behind the book was was, and this is probably true in any any tr transition. I mean, I think one of the things we have to understand is that you know you know our society is facing the greatest threat that it has faced in ever in thousands and thousands of years and not just the society but all of the other species on the planet sure and 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 i think getting folks to understand the urgency of this of this of this challenge requires more and more messages to be out there especially in the in the constant deluge that we all find ourselves in of constant new books and new websites and new podcasts and it's it's impossible on sometimes to really consume even even a fraction of all that but but i think this idea of urgency is another part of the of the book that we wanted to um we wanted to get out there that we can't afford to wait 10 years really to, right. to make these changes we have to do it like right now and so um and so the idea of of, of sending this out there and 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 trying to help reinforce the other messages that are similar was a, a, a big part of the a big part of the intention. So in the book, you outline uh, in sort of 10 steps or, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> 10 kind of, you know, goals essentially, right? How your peers or, you know, young folks in the industry can start to think about this and, and implement this. Um, I thought it'd be fun if we kind of went one by one. And what I'll do is I'll kind of throw each one at you and then have you talk through it. So the first one is communicate your values. Yeah. So, thank you. So, I think that I, 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 the preface to all this is to say that I don't. There's no one recipe for this, uh, for for practice with purpose or for mission-driven design, and and we are completely uh, in awe of the variety of of creative responses that all of our colleagues will have to some of these ideas. So, um, this is more um, uh, intended as being sort of a few ideas to start with. But so, I think the idea of communicating your values is just what I said earlier: is that Accepting the fact that really what architecture is 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 all about values. It's about the values of a community, and it's about your own values and how those match up. And I think the idea of of, of being clear about what your goal, what your vision is, what how, what your what your mission is in 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 your practice, I think does start to help clarify for people inside the organization, but also outside the organization, what you're all about. Yeah. Attract mission-driven projects. So once you do that, once you state clearly state your mission and and what you're what you're trying to achieve in your practice, then I think the idea is that you start to develop long-term relationships with like-minded individuals, clients, collaborators, communities who who have some commonality in their their goals, and um, and then when you when you when you when you design a project that is about those missions, 
Um, I think crafting compelling project narratives that tell the story of how this this environment furthers that mission helps to um, helps to reinforce the importance of of the environment that you created. Be selective when you can. So I think I said earlier, you know, one of the realities we learned early on in our careers was that you get the work that you do. Um, and so the idea here is to is to um, uh, try to design your practice in such a way that when we found this to be successful in our case, such a way that, you know, we keep a, a lean, mean machine. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we're about 35 people, you know, and uh, and that, that if we get any bigger than that, that, that is probably going to be a problem. So we want to keep keep it relatively small. Um, and then, uh, and then at the same time, develop the sort of economic stability through a diversity of project types that helps bridge the gaps across the ebbs and flows of the of the economy. Um, one follow-up question with that: by by being small, do you think you can also make uh, an impact that's big enough, or and then can maybe a bigger firm adopt this without sort of having to you know narrow down to uh, to a smaller type of an organization? Absolutely, and I, you know, a lot of a lot of our, you know, heroes are 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 bigger than we are, um, and and uh, there 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 are many there are several out there who who do just amazing work in this regard, and and uh, you know they're in the hundred plus person range. I think we just found that you know that the that for us personally the thirty five person range seems more manageable, and we've 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 you know take some amount of pride in the fact that we punch above our weight as they say <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one surf the bottom half of the wave yeah a little a little california uh, lingo in there for everybody no i think i think this goes with the one before i think the idea is that you know architects are always the canaries in the coal mine right we 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 when when there's an economic downturn we're often the ones that feel it first and so as the ebb and flow of the the waves of the of the economy come through, the whole idea here is to is to you don't design your firm for the top half of the wave. You don't design it for the for the fat times, nor do you define it for the for the super lean times. You have to design it to be kind of right in the middle, so you have the flexibility to go either way and and ride out the ride out that uh, ride out that wave. Good, practice diversity. So I think you know diversity is a big word that's come up lately, but I think it 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 has multiple meanings and um, and uh, it has to do with diversity of, of of project types. As I mentioned earlier, it's important to keep a variety of work in the office so you're not reliant upon one one um, uh, industry. But it's also um, you know seeking out designers and colleagues, collaborators who are from underrepresented communities who can bring a new a new perspective to the work every day. And I think that's really key because we we know we live in a, 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 a kind of a very complicated world and we want to make sure we have as many, um, you know, smart, insightful people of various backgrounds as we possibly can. Right size your practice. Yeah, so this gets to this idea of how, how big do you have to be? And I think this is pretty much, um, uh, you know, dependent upon how, how you want to organize your, your firm, obviously. but. Um, in our case, I think, uh, you know, uh, designing a practice uh, size and culture that supports a diversity of projects, but that doesn't, and, and retaining a, a, a sort of a, a, a sense of common purpose, um, we found that to be easy to do when we're around the 
25 to 35 person size. I think I think uh, it's it's hard for me to imagine how you maintain that sense of focus when you know you're 150 or 2,000 people. I don't. People do it. Good for them. <laughs> They're a lot smarter than I am. That's great. Uh, cultivate your workspace. So this this goes back to the question you asked earlier about about you know the post pandemic world and 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 I think um, you know this old fashioned notion that. Uh, creating a collegial face-to-face design environment that uh, promotes an you know an educational transparency of purpose I think is really uh, really key has been a key for us and uh, again other folks might be able to achieve that remotely um, but um, but in our particular case we find it to be just much more rewarding to be able to overhear conversations, have someone just drop by your desk and ask you what you're doing. Uh, similarly, you know, we just we like to wander around the office and ask other folks what they're up to, and it, it just it just it just creates a much more um, supportive and um, educational environment um, for for everyone. I think. Advanced best practices. So you know, I think the the one of the one of the challenges that every firm regardless of size faces these days is is just the idea that you know the practice is changing really rapidly and 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 knowledge about you know things like embodied carbon and the environment and and um, you know advanced um, uh, sustainability systems and strategies and so forth um, uh, you know uh, uh, design for equity all of these issues are, are changing and evolving very quickly and so um, so the idea of, of really, you know, trying to stay up up with that is key. And I think, you know, even for a small firm who might f- uh, feel who, uh, you know, that might feel overwhelmed by the by the fire hose, um, it is it is important to take advantage of, in this case, the American Institute of Architects and programs like the AIA twenty three commitment and the framework for design excellence. Those are are those are really simple ways to sort of make sure your your you're wading in uh, to these issues and, and staying uh, as abreast as, of these things as you possibly can. Serve your community. Yeah, so this is something that maybe architects in the past, you know, have thought about in a variety of different ways. And I, I, I do think that in, that in the in the in the context of this combined ecological and societal emergency that we're facing um, globally and in our local communities, you know, with everything that's going on is. Um, is absolutely key, and I think this is part of the larger message we make in the book that um, that we can't afford business as usual anymore. We can't afford the old role of architects as simply um, professional service providers. Um, that we have to sort of think about embracing a few additional roles, and one of those might be, you know, as stewards of our uh, communities, um, leaders uh, in how we create resilience uh, for the future. Um, and you know, and basically change agents for the common good. I think our our training as as creative thinkers in a in a messy world, get, you know, we can, we can get things done in a big, complicated, messy world, um, makes us ideally suited as a design profession to to help um, address some of these issues through the built environment. And the last one, number ten, uh, advocate for change. <laughs> Well, I think that you know this goes along with the one before. I think the idea of of what what does it mean to be an architect um, is sort of changing. You know, I think 
I think, uh, you know, it used to be, um, you know, old white guys designing houses for rich people. And that still happens, and that's great, you know. Uh, but I think now, it, it, we, we, the, as a result of that, the profession, I think, has suffered um, a disconnection from relevancy in society. And I, and I, I really firmly believe that um, as we start to engage this, hopefully engage this new way of thinking about being an architect as, a, as an agent of change for the common good, that, um, that, that we will start to um, become, be perceived as being more relevant because frankly, we will be more relevant. And uh, to to the to the broadest part of the part of the population, um, and a lot of along with that, what goes with this is the idea of, of advocating for change uh, in you know beyond beyond our building. We can each design one beautiful building at a time, um, and yes, those those little pebbles you know uh, ripples go out, but change needs to happen faster than that. So I think it's important to for architects to also advocate for. Um, rapid change in building codes for the uh, rapid adoption of zero carbon uh, codes that require everyone to do this, not just a few, um, for greater equity, diversity, inclusion in, in, in all of our projects, for more affordable housing, better schools, um, and an easier path for uh, creative adaptive reuse, which is the most sustainable building you can, you can, you can build, a, a building that's already existing. So all right. of those things, I think, is 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 a way for um, architects to move away from being, um, uh, you know, the um, uh, the the artist businessman, um, which which, and you know, without leaving that behind, I think you can also um, add to that and create a greater value for, for your own practice and a greater value for for your community, which I think is is the absolute um, goal here. Yeah. Bill, as we close our conversation, um, I, I usually like to end it with a couple of personal, you know, anecdotes, maybe, you know, thoughts around, you know, lessons learned throughout this process, or maybe just lessons learned throughout the, you know, process of building your your own practice, and then maybe, you know, some advice to either your younger self or or other kind of advice outside of these, you know, 10 and other things to either younger people or uh, things you wish you you knew back back in a day, right? Sure. I mean, I can tell you, uh, you know, one of the seminal projects in my career um, was the uh, design of a building in Berkeley called the Ed Roberts Campus. Campus. Um, it's a it's it was uh, conceived as a center for the disability rights independent living movement, and um, and and was designed it was really the largest project of its type at the time to be to take what's called universal design design that welcomes everyone regardless of their abilities at 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 scale beyond beyond uh, you know uh, restrooms and and um and uh, um and and single family homes and it and it really the the concept of it was it went the idea was to go beyond the ADA and think more broadly about architecture as um, an environment that provides a graceful welcoming for this whole range of, of, of people and I, I just there, there's we designed this place to be um, inspiring and welcoming no matter what your level of ability was and um, and it's been open now for 10 years and it's is, has been, a, a, I think, a very um, powerful model for this kind of thing around around the world. But I think the 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 it, it does come down to 
the personal connection with uh, with the individuals. And I, I, I and speaking about empathic design, one of the one of the most inspiring folks that we worked with on this project was um, was a woman named Jan Garrett, who uh, is a woman <laughs> who is a, a very inspirational um, uh, disabled rights uh, advocate uh, and administrator who is also an attorney. And she uh, was born without any arms and legs. And she was at the time we were doing the project. She was president of the Ed Roberts campus, and. <clears throat> And she was just um, amazing, um, you know. And I think what ended up happening was we ended up we ended up thinking about the project in terms of Jan specifically. How how would Jan get to this project um, after hours? Let herself in to her office, do her work, and go home without any help at all. And uh, and so she became sort of our our avatar, if you will, and um, for the for the design of the project. And whenever we would come up with a design, and we'd work with a whole variety of of, of uh, working groups of folks to representing a whole wide variety of, of of disabilities and so forth. But we'd always think about it in terms of what would work for Jan. You know, how what would Jan think about this? And and um, and then 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 fast forward, <clears throat> we. Uh, I was sitting in the conference room at the at the Ed Roberts campus one day, maybe three or four years after it was opened, and and I was meeting with a group of folks, and and um, this fellow came in in a wheelchair, who had no use of his hands, and and uh, and he was a little emotional, and and he was a little bit late, but he was emotional, and everyone said, well, what, you know, what's up, Fred? Are you okay? You know, is everything okay? And he goes, he goes, he goes, well, I just realized that um, I this is the first time in my life that I've ever been able to get into a building and not ask anyone to help me and i thought wow that's that's, that's amazing yeah that's pretty that's yeah. pretty powerful yeah so i i think it for me it, it it sort of says it all it says this is this is what you know yes architecture is about beautiful space yes it's about craft and all those other things but it's also about you know helping people do things that they should be able to do no matter what and i think that's the that's the bottom line I tell students a lot these days that um, that you know you may not think so, but I think, in my opinion, in the history of architecture, there has never been a more important time to be an architect. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Really enjoyed it. Um, enjoy the rest yeah. of the week, and uh, yeah, be in touch. Same to you, Vlad. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks a lot. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.